The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Sportscaster and Her Son, where sports bridges the gap between generations. I'm your host, Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster at NBC, Chicago for 17 years, maybe 18 by now, I don't know. And yes, I am the baby boomer. I'm Jason Canander, contributing writer for various websites, including Minor League Ball, Fan Sided, Busting Brackets, and DeWindy City. And I'm in high school for just a few more months. I know, and you are excited because um, it's kind of hard to actually go to class this last semester and to. I told you I'm not doing any homework at home. Oh, I hate hearing that. We are still paying the bills, though. We're still paying tuition. So don't just, don't just, you know. Not do anything, so then I'm you doing. go off. Then you go off to college, and then you're not used to to doing. studying again. Anyways, we're we're mother and son, son and mother. Um, you know, obviously, there's a few years between us, but sports bridges the gap between us, and so that's why we decided to do our podcast, the Sportscaster and Her Son, because it does bridge that gap, and it allows us to get a little bit closer talking sports. We have it in common. We both have a passion for it, me being a longtime sportscaster in Chicago and Jason being a budding sports writer and sportscaster himself. So as a reminder, if you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash sportscaster and follow the simple instructions. In this episode, episode. What is going on in sports? We have cheating in baseball. Well, what else is new? We have sports gambling is now legal in Illinois. Is that good? Everyone's doing it. What? Jason, this has been a crazy month in the past month here, at least in Chicago. Let's start with cheating in baseball. Is this the Black Sox all over again with the Houston Astros? No, I I don't really think so. I think that obviously they were able to gain a competitive advantage by cheating, but at the end of the day, the roster still was very well rounded back in 2017. I think it was when they won it all. Um, and, and like I said, at the end of the day, you still have to hit the ball. You still have to pitch the ball. You still have to field the ball. And they excelled in all three areas. Obviously, they did have a little bit of an edge, but it wasn't like the Black Sox where they were able to completely steer the way that a series or a season went. Well, how do we know that, though? How, how do we know that their cheating did not completely change the games? I mean, the video of Danny Farquhar when he was with the White Sox was amazing. You know, you could hear the banging of the of the drum or the can. Now we know that it was a garbage can. Uh, he calls the catcher over and he says, they, they have our signs. They have our signs. It was so obvious. So, you know, this affects a lot of people. You know, maybe guys lost jobs after that season. Maybe guys, you know, didn't get contracts after that season. So how do we know exactly how far-reaching it really was? Well, The Athletic wrote an article where they, I believe it was The Athletic, where they interviewed a couple of the minor league, or now unemployed uh, pitchers who were optioned after bad outings against the Astros and never got called back up. So jobs were definitely lost. But at the same time, what I'm really hesitant to do is to attribute all of that to knowing the signs. Because the thing with baseball, even with the steroid era, you still need to be up to the athletic capability to swing a bat, to run the bases. 
And some of these guys, a lot of the Astros' top players, Correa, Bregman, Springer, they were all top draft picks. So it's not like these guys are coming from the late rounds of the draft and doing this with, like, absolutely uh, nobody expected. These were guys that were expected to come up and hit, and they hit, and maybe they had a little bit of an advantage, but I don't think they're going to drop off this year at all. Okay, so what is the difference between stealing signs with video equipment and doing it the old-fashioned way with a, a base coaches in the dugout, um, you know, just stealing the signs between the pitcher and the catcher? Because with the base coaches in the dugout, there's there's human error. There's um, Obviously, you're not going to have 100% accuracy. With the video and with how precise it was, You knew exact, they knew exactly what was coming. They knew exactly what pitch was going to be thrown, when it was going to be thrown. So with, with the video evidence, you know, that, I mean, that's literally what's going to happen. With the sign stealing in the old-fashioned way, there are only certain ways you can gain an advantage from that, Spe- uh, more specifically when you're running bases um, or when you have a guy on second or third base where he has a clear view to the catcher. Um, so I think that the video equipment and and the method that the Astros use is a lot more precise and it's a lot more exact to where um, they were able to carry it out for a full season whereas the old-fashioned method is kind of like a time and a place thing so but but aren't we heading we're we're already in a digital era we're already in an era in which uh, nobody wants human beings making um, you know being umpires and referees everybody wants uh, replay um, we're using video all the time so why shouldn't they just embrace it and learn how to maybe um, make it legal but make it fair for everybody well it'll never be legal because there's no way that you would be able to compensate the pitcher because that is a system that will only benefit the hitter at all times so if you give every hitter the benefit then the art of pitching in baseball is going to completely die away and there's no way that you can compensate the pitcher because the pitcher knows what pitch they want to throw there's no way that you're going to be able to have the exact same um sort of advantage with throwing pitches knowing when to throw them um, whereas if the if the hitter knows what pitch is coming, there's nothing you can really do about that. Well, what about in what about replay uh, that's being shown inside the stadium on on the big screens? Um, does that do, doesn't that give one side or the other an advantage? There you see it you see it in football. You see it. Everybody turns and looks up at the video screens to to see what happened. So they are in a way endorsing video in the game. They just want to be able to handle it um, so that they know what each side is seeing. Is that what it is, you think? Well, no, I don't think that like the video replay has anything to do with cheating at all. Because if you're going to look up at the video and see a hitter hit a full count pitch out for, for a home run, there's no difference if you can see what pitch that was on a video or the hitter's just going to tell you what it was. Because at the end of the day, they know what pitch they hit. So there's no way that you're going to be able to gain a competitive advantage just from watching a replay. This is, reminds me also in a way of back when Peyton Manning was still playing football and the microphones were picking up his calls at the line and everyone started repeating them all week and everyone was making fun and laughing and joking. And then they got a little upset because they said, wait a second, that these are our plays. You know, if you keep picking it up with the audio of the television network that's that's broadcasting the game, you know, that's unfair to us because now everyone can figure out what our plays were after that call. So it's interesting that it's not going to go away. There will always be something happening electronically in 
in sports because we are in the year 2020 right now. So that will always, they, they need to, instead of, uh, I think, leaning on the old fashioned way, they're going to have to figure out a way to embrace it because this is only the beginning. There's got to be millions of other, well, not millions, but, you know, dozens of other ways that electronics are being used in sports. Look at something like golf. They have to look at the equipment and they have to say, the electron, the, the, let me take it back. They are so far ahead in equipment right now that the game can't keep up with them. So what they do in golf is say, well, this is not legal at the professional level, but all of the amateurs can use these putters. You know, you can, all the amateurs can use these balls, but you cannot use them at the professional level. You see what I'm saying? you know, this is only the the tip of the iceberg. Well, the thing with, with how technology is going to go away. It's not like we just woke up on January 1st, 2020, and now technology is here. For over 20 years now, coaches, players, um, executives have had to adjust on the fly to technology and its presence in sports. And that's, what's ma- that's what makes sports so great is the ability to adjust, the ability to gain an edge on the opponent, albeit you want it to be in a legal manner. But still, it's not like, like technology is like this big problem in sports. It's just part of sports now. And I think that the athletes and the coaches are doing a good enough job of being able to adjust to that. With the audibles, it's maybe you make new plays. Maybe you do a better job of concealing the audibles. Maybe you use more deception. With the video replay, you just throw a different pitch in that count. Or you adjust to that. You use that to gain an edge on researching the hitter and the hitter's tendencies and the other way with the pitcher. So technology is being used in such a positive way in sports where it outweighs the negatives such as cheating. What did you think about the um, punishments that were handed down by Rob Manfred in Major League Baseball? I thought that they were completely fair. I thought that it was very surprising that the Astros fired their GM and manager, but with the exception of that, I think that the punishments were fair. The Astros will certainly feel the effects, especially with the draft picks gone. That's the biggest loss in my opinion. Um, because they are still a team with a very high-quality major league roster. They'll have no problem getting a top-level coach. They'll have no problem filling the front office. So I think that, that as of right now, maybe in 2020 it won't affect them as much, but in the years down the line, losing two first-round picks and two second-round picks is a huge deal, especially for a team that drafts as well as the Astros. So so why not take away their World Series title like they do in college? Because you know? there's no way that you can prove that that is why they won the World Series. Wow, man! I think that there would be a lot of people that would that and, would and not to mention they won Game Seven on the road, and the advantages that they gained were only at home. So they still had to win Game Seven on the road. I believe they also won Game One on the road. So it's not like the Astros had had just been using this at every single ballpark. How many other teams do you think were going? Oh crap! Uh oh! You know when this broke, how many other teams are doing something? Something that's I that's, don't think that's stealing. That, I don't think that many. I don't think it's like a college basketball situation, like where like you just kind of know, like okay, everyone's paying players. Just a matter of who gets caught. No, I think that this was so out of the blue and so unique, but there was such direct evidence. Like if other teams were using stuff like this, I think it'd be it'd be obvious now. So no, I don't. I think it's a unique situation. You don't think that they're right now going and looking to see who all uh, went to other teams or who worked with each well, other? Well, it was over just Alex years. Cora. It was Alex Cora. Started it with the Astros in 2017. 2018, he was hired as a Red Sox manager. And now he's getting investigated with the Red Sox. Well, and what about Boston? Um, Boston's investigation, obviously, is going to take a while. I haven't looked too much into the situation. But I would assume that with the precedent that the MLB set with the punishments this time around, they're not going to be let off easy. Okay. So you said you don't think that this is like the Black Sox scandal. No. Okay. So speaking of the Black Sox, um, 
gambling is now legal in Illinois. This is crazy. I got to read some of this because I I was absolutely stunned to read some of the numbers. So um, local casinos will have sports books in 2020 in Illinois as the gaming board sent out applications for sports books with most, if not all the Chicago teams saying that they have an interest in getting uh, a window at their stadiums. So that means that somehow you will be able to eventually bet at the stadiums. Um, According to the Chicago Tribune, when Indiana introduced sports betting in September of 2019, online betting a month later, they had $147 million in the total amount bet. That's two-thirds of it that came online. It is available at your fingertips. Most people, Jason, are saying, well, it's about time because everyone's doing it anyways. How do you feel as a 17-year-old, you know, that gambling will be legal uh, when you're of age to gamble, but how do you feel in general? Um, I think as so when I'm of age to gamble, I think that's something like cross the bridge when I get there type of thing. It's not something that I think about too much, but um, at the end of the day, in the U.S. at least, all of these things that we viewed at as vices, so alcohol, marijuana, all of it is legal. So gambling is another thing, highly addictive. It's not quite a substance abuse situation, but it's still something that you can get hooked on and something that has been proven by scientists to be addictive to the mind. So it's just another step. If marijuana is going to be legalized, gambling should be legalized because you have the same downside with both. The worst thing that's going to happen from gambling is you lose all your money. The worst thing that's going to happen from smoking a ton of weed is you lose all your money. Same thing with alcohol. The worst thing that's going to happen is that you blow through all your money. So if we're going to allow certain things where the downside is... Um, and the risk is high, and that risk comes with losing your money, then there's no reason why gambling should not be legalized. Well, and that's the thing. You brought it up about, um, you know, the the addiction factor of it. Sports betting, it's like drinking and drugs. Just because it's legal doesn't mean that it isn't dangerous to you. Um, and so I, I do think that it's important that, you know, Jason and I doing this podcast, and you're listening, um, like, I, I'll tell you what, I mean, I feel like everybody does it. We were playing fantasy football. I I introduced you to fantasy football when dad had a team with his um, fraternity brothers at TCU and I took over his team and then you helped me and then you took over the team. So I, I, I really look at fantasy football and I think that that's innocent. It's fun. It's, you know, w- what are you going to lose? You know, a hundred bucks if that's what you're, you're putting on your team. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but they're saying now your generation will be the first generation that grows up with gambling being legal where, you know, it's like alcohol. It's going to be around everywhere. It's going to be everywhere. And the other thing with, with gambling is that even though it is technically not legal, or at least it wasn't to this point, it, it, it's just like all the other vices. Like you still know that people are doing it. Obviously people who can do something about it know that it's happening. It's not something that's like a pressing matter. It's, it's something that, like if you really want to and you have the means, you can do it, whether it's legal or not. And it's not something that's very frowned upon. It's not like when you're gambling on sports, the first thought is, oh, you're breaking the law. No, it's more of, of a personal decision, personal situation. And it's not really as frowned upon, um, at least by my generation, because my generation has been raised in the gambling era in, in a way where ESPN has their shows on gambling and the lines are presented next to the team's on the bottom part of ESPN. And so that's just something that we've been grown up with. So obviously people my age, are going to have the preconceived notion that it's not bad, but the facts state that the, the, the risk level is very similar to other things that are allowed and regulated in our country. 
So it's important for people to recognize the signs of a problem. And this is our little time right now to just let you, our listeners, know. Um, if you think that you know anybody that might have a possible problem with gambling, um, this is our public service uh, telling you to please reach out. These are the signs um, that someone may have a uh, compulsive gambling problem. They borrow and or steal money. Um, they have unexplained debt or they have a lot of extra cash. Uh, they sell household items and run up their credit cards. Um, when asked about it, they lie about it. They have unexcused absences from work or from other activities or even from school. Uh, they receive phone calls from strangers. They're obsessed with the sports scores. They can then appear moody, distracted, and depressed. Uh, it's the whole personality change when you notice them withdrawing. They're no longer outgoing. They're no longer um, being a part of the conversation. That's when you really should um, take notice and and, and and really reach out and get them help. Here's the thing you need to recognize, though. Obviously, gambling is a big problem and losing money is a big problem. But there's a line that needs to be drawn between assuming that somebody's gambling and understanding the commitment emotionally, mentally, financially that somebody has made into one of their teams. So it is still a very natural feeling to be upset after a loss, especially by one of your big teams. I don't think that there's such thing as being too focused or too obsessed into a sports score because sports is such a popular thing in America and it is such a great thing. They're sports super fans and I don't think that it is right to assume that those people have money or have an interest in the game when they could really just be an ordinary person that is committed so much, been such a loyal fan. I think that there's a line that needs to be drawn and we need to be very cautious with our assumptions. Well, and this is, I will disagree with you in one part of that, Jason, because throughout my years as a sportscaster, there has always been uh, one or two guys who uh, got into the business because they had a love for the sport and for sports in general. And then they become so obsessed with the money that they have on the line that that fun is taken away and it becomes all about winning and winning your money. Um, and, you know, it's like when, before I played fantasy football, when I worked at ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut, you know, I used to just be a Bears fan. Well, then I started playing fantasy football and fantasy baseball and I, and I was rooting for everybody. I, I didn't care so much if the Cubs or the Sox lost or, you know, uh, what the Bulls were doing because I was more concerned with the guys that I had playing that night. So that can be an issue and that's where you have to really, you know, never let the winning or losing of a bet take away from the pure joy of what sports can be. Joining us now to talk about this very interesting topic, especially for us here in Chicago, because sports gambling is now legal. And as parents as well, I'm kind of looking around thinking, hmm, how am I supposed to handle all this? So I had to reach out to someone who knows much better than I do uh, what we are looking at with uh, gambling becoming legal, sports betting becoming legal here in Illinois, and uh, maybe as a parent, some of the things that I am going to be facing. So joining us is Rachel Volberg, and she is a research professor in the School of Public Health and Health Sciences at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, a leading gambler researcher. Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I do appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So give me an idea here. What is it that I am looking at as a parent? Um, 
how we even got to this point. I mean, I remember 20 years ago when I first started working in the industry that uh, we would do betting pools. We would do fantasy football. We all had different teams in, in the various leagues. And now all of a sudden, everything's legal here. And uh, my kids are growing up with sports betting being legal. How, how did we even get to this place in our society? Well, uh, it's, it's complicated, as you can imagine. And people have bet on sports, as you have pointed out, uh, for quite a long time, even though uh, technically it has been illegal for, for that activity to happen. So, you know, it happened between friends or amongst um, worker, you know, colleagues at work. It happened, you know, in a non-commercial way. Uh, but then obviously there have been many uh, folks who uh, make sports-related bets with illegal bookies, uh, much as they used to do with horse race betting after, after horse racing became less popular. So um, sports betting has been around for a long time. Uh, it just hasn't been legal. So there haven't been sort of the commercial incentives to, to monetize it. Right. The the concern that that someone like myself has who has worked in the public health area for a long time and been concerned about problem gambling and also about, you know, young people and gambling because uh there is very solid research that shows the younger the age of the person when they started gambling, the more likely they are to develop a problem later in life. So there is concern from a public health perspective about young people uh, plunging into a legal form of gambling. So, of course, there's age restrictions. I don't know exactly what they are in Illinois. It's going to be either 18 or 21 uh, for someone to place a legal bet on a, on a sports team. The, the concern that I would have as a parent, and I have a 24-year-old, so she's of legal age, but uh, and not very interested in, in gambling at all because <laughs> it's something uncool that her mom does for a living. <laughs> but the concern I would have as a parent of a teenager, for example, is that, you know, when governments legalize an activity or even a substance, people are going to engage in that activity or they're going to consume that substance with the belief that the government has put safeguards in place so that they can consume that product safely. Right. And I think, you know, when sports betting was illegal, you know, the, the activities weren't as marketed. So there wasn't the advertising, there wasn't sort of the, you know, you got to, got to play to, to, to win kinds of enticements for people to participate. But what I, what I would be concerned about is, whether the state of Illinois, as they roll out commercial sports betting, whether they have built in adequate safeguards so that young people, especially the, the youngest customers who are participating legally, are able to understand the risks of overconsumption and have tools available to them to minimize those risks, whether it's budgeting tools or the ability to exclude themselves from um, the activity for a while or to take a break. Those are the kinds of things that I would want to see in a government 
regulated sports betting. And it's, it's, you bring up a very interesting point because when I was younger, we would always say um, kids that were doing illegal drugs were the kids that had too much money. Um, they had cash available. They, they um, were, you know, the rich kids that, um, you know, went and did cocaine before anyone, you know, would even consider that, you know, as a young adult. Now we're faced with a whole different genre of, of young adults who, um, A, have uh, their bank accounts are on their phones. Um, the ability to bet is on their phones. Uh, the ability to find the, um, the latest lines on a game and any information about a game is all at their fingertips. So we're not just talking about kids who may have, uh, you know, access to more money. We're talking about an almost an impulse um, at your fingertips for, you know, whether you're a kid that sits around on the couch and is constantly just, you know, playing games on your phone. Now you have an impulse of um, instant gratification or not uh, with gambling, at your fingertips. It's a whole new realm of, of possibilities that we really didn't have when we were younger. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, <laughs> I think mobile phones have, have definitely changed the, the technological aspect of gambling. The things that I worry about are the ability to, to gamble on credit, mm. um, especially young people um, not understanding what the terms of that credit might be and so they, you know, bet all the way out to the end of their credit line. Do they understand that there's an interest rate and that they have to pay more than the minimum payment per month to be able to, like, pay down if they've gotten out to the end of their credit line? So there's there's lots of safeguards that I would hope the state of Illinois has built into or will build into uh, the sports betting uh, that is allowed. Yeah, and right now you cannot bet online for sports betting in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still working out those um, you know, the, the specifics for that. You have to uh, go in person. You have to show an ID, uh, prove that you're 18 to open up an, an account. So, Rachel, mm-hmm. in the in, since you your background is in public health. Where do we, how do we know who is going to cross the line? It can't be bad for everyone. You know, it's, it's like drinking, um, you know, or doing drugs uh, recreationally. Uh, when does it become an addiction? Um, same thing with drinking, same thing now with gambling. How do we know who it's going to be, um, maybe who's going to be in the most danger when they start dabbling in it? Well, I'm sorry to say that, that we actually don't know exactly who's going to be at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, we do know that that the younger you start to gamble, uh, the more likely it is uh, that you would that you would develop a gambling problem in the future. And why um, is that? Is it because young kids are impulsive? You know, what is it about? But about, about yeah, the basically, age? yeah, basically, it's the impulsivity. So you know, um, children's brains and teenagers' brains are are changing very rapidly. And so all of the breaks that we learn to put on our impulses as we get older are not developed. And if they happen across something that that is really enjoyable, for example, if they like win a, a huge amount on a slot machine 
at a very young age, that creates pathways in the brain, neurological pathways that actually make it more likely that that person is going to pursue that form of activity to try to get that same emotional and mental experience again. It's it's like a rush. It's like a high. I mean, I know when I'm sitting at a slot machine, I know that when you win, you completely get that rush, that high. And I don't know if it's a dopamine thing, but it's definitely there. Um, oh, yeah. And then you're trying to get it again, right? You want to, You want that feeling again. Right. Except everybody should understand that there's a reason why casinos make money, and it's called the house edge. And so, you know, all commercial and even illegal um, forms of gambling are, are basically set up so that the odds are against people winning in the long run. The worst thing that can possibly happen to a young person is if they win big, like their first, second, or third time out gambling. Yeah. Because that sort of sets them up for future problems. Exactly. So it's not so much, you know, is it is it young men or is it young women or is it, you know, people who are who are bet who are better off economically versus those who are not a, a big win can happen to anybody that's the nature of gambling and so it it's more i, I think for parents it it it's important to have conversations about wh- what their kids are thinking about in terms of sports betting uh it's important for parents to get educated about what sports betting actually entails and it's important for parents to to think about you know, what kinds of protections they can put in place for their kids as they will undoubtedly, you know, access this new form of gambling. It's going to be very attractive. It's, you know, there's going to be a lot of conversation about it. So people, kids are going to try it. I think for teenagers and folks like your son, it's really important to understand that gambling has a lot of fellow travelers. So gambling and drinking tend to go together along with, um, how to describe it, it it's sort of, it, gambling tends to be very much a social activity. Yes. So you need to sort of pay attention to your friends as a teenager. Um, if a lot of them are talking about gambling and are gambling, you know, that increases the likelihood that you will also do those activities. And it, when you when you're hanging out with people who do a lot of gambling, just like if you hang out with people who do a lot of drinking, that heavy usage becomes normalized. Right. So you think that everybody in the world is gambling that much, and that can also be a, a, a trigger for developing a gambling problem. And you surround yourself with people who do the same things, so that it almost um, makes you feel better about what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Um, you know, there, there are certainly um, things to look out for. You know, not everybody is going to develop a gambling problem. Most people who gamble are able to do it, you know, without getting into trouble. But it's important to understand that it is an addiction, very similar to substance use disorder and alcohol use disorder, and that there are people who uh, get into trouble with all of the different kinds of gambling that are available uh, to adults, and kids are uh, a good bit more susceptible to developing a gambling problem simply because of of the the stage of development that their brains are at. 
You mentioned earlier how um, you, you, you have a concern that um, states are not prepared. Um, are there enough, enough uh, public health officials, um, therapists, uh, programs, and even education in place? You know, it's, it's almost, we leave it up to the parents, and some parents don't even talk about it, but um, a lot of people don't even address it. Are we really prepared for the number of states that are now legalizing this and um, the issues that can come with it? I would say that we are not prepared, but um, there are certainly those of us who have been advocates for services for problem gamblers and their families for many years are doing our best to communicate with legislators in many different states as they, you know, look at legalizing sports betting. I mean, it's the same thing that happened with casino gambling. It's the same thing that happened with lottery gambling. These new forms of gambling get rolled out and there typically are not services in place ahead of the rollout. It's only when people start turning up in other kinds of treatment programs and saying, oh, by the way, in addition to my depression and anxiety, I've got this huge gambling debt. Mm-hmm. Um, if they even tell their therapist about it, states typically do not uh, fund services until after the new form of gambling is already in place. Right. And after they brought in $60 million, because the numbers are astronomical that, that they're bringing in. I'm curious how you even got involved in researching this issue. How did you get involved in it? Well, I was a newly minted PhD back in 1983, and um, I was hired to evaluate the effectiveness of one of the very first treatment programs for problem gamblers in New York State. And um, it was it was uh, just a few years before um, the passage of the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, which led to a massive expansion of casino gambling in mm-hmm. the United States. Yeah. And so I just happened to be at the right place at the right time and knowledgeable about gambling behavior at a time when very few people knew anything about gambling, but a lot of people were concerned about it. And so my career kind of started from that. And, and really, when you think about it, it goes back to, I mean, you know, the 1920s when, you know, the street games on the street corners, um, um, you know, playing jacks or, um, you know, like you said, the, the horses back in the day, the horses aren't as popular now. Um, does society find a way to kind of correct themselves, um, you know, it, it becomes really big and then it settles down. They figure out how to deal with it, whether it's alcohol um, or, you know, gambling. Now we have also marijuana is legal in um, Illinois now as well. Does society find a way to correct itself? Well, there, there is a certain amount of, of, of correction that, that communities do. And, you know, certainly we've seen that with alcohol. We've seen it with, with gambling. But I think what a lot of people don't understand is that even though people sort of adapt and um, move on or, you know, it, it, their enthusiasm moves to something else, there are still going to be people left with, lifelong vulnerability to a gambling problem if they've had a gambling problem in the past. So take a, take a hypothetical experience. You're a young person. You have a big win. You develop a gambling problem because it's 
you know, it's just like triggered everything and you just chase your losses until you have nothing left or until, you know, you have to be bailed out, you may not have sort of the full clinical picture of, of, of a, a disordered gambler. But if you experience a loss in the future, your brain is going to be triggered to look for something to escape to that that gave you joy and happiness in the past. If it was gambling and you start gambling again, you're going to get into trouble much more quickly that second time around than you did the first time. Mm. And, and so there's there's sort of, you know, you're setting the stage as a community for people who are going to have this additional vulnerability in the future that you, you can't really undo once, once it's happened. Now let's go to Jason, your predictions. All right, my predictions. Um, we were talking about the Red Sox scandal. I think that their manager, Alex Cora, gets suspended for three full seasons, um, considering the fact that he is a repeat offender. Um, I think that um, my second prediction is that we're in the thick of the college basketball season. I think that this is the first season in the past two decades now where a true mid-major team wins a championship, whether that be Gonzaga, uh, Dayton, there are a couple other, uh, Wichita State, a couple other good bets, um, no pun intended, um, <laughs> to win the national championship. And then um, with my final my final prediction, um, I'm going to guess that um, considering how bad the Bulls have been lately, they've lost seven of their last eight, I believe. Um, I think Ugh. that they run the table and win the draft lottery. They'll have the top pick in the draft, and um, it'll be a very interesting summer in Chicago. Is that a good thing? Uh, I guess so. Yeah, I know. All right, and here's my closing thoughts. So sports gambling is now legal where we live in Illinois. We have five locations in a five-block stretch near our house where you can go and gamble. We have restaurants. We have bars. We also have the opportunity to feed just about any vice that you might have. It's everywhere, and you're going to see it everywhere. As we develop as humans in a society, we are going to be faced with how to confront the possibilities of new addictions. Kids are sports fans. They're athletic. They're outgoing. They're good students. Well, you won't even know your kid is doing it on his phone, placing bets. Warn them that gambling triggers your dopamine. It's a rush. It's a high. And just like others, one addiction can lead to another. Of course, not everybody who drinks becomes an alcoholic. I know that I'm not that stupid and not everyone who gambles will have a problem. So do we stop putting lottery tickets in our kids' Christmas stockings? I've done that. Do I stop putting lottery ticket trees together for a school fundraiser? I don't think so. I mean, people love those. Here's my only thought. If we are going to have it available just like we have restaurants that serve alcohol, bars, casinos, video poker parlors, and betting parlors, we should offer help to those who do become addicted. We should support the programs for recovery, just like we support the legalizations. Mental health professionals ask these three questions to determine if someone is at risk for developing a gambling problem. In the past 12 months, have you become restless, irritable, or anxious when trying to cut down on or even stop gambling? Number two, in the past 12 months, have you tried to keep your family and friends from knowing how much you gamble? 
And number three, in the past 12 months, did you have such financial trouble as a result of your gambling that you had to get help with living expenses from family or friends or an outside service? Just one yes answer to any of those three questions could mean you or your friend could be at risk for developing a gambling problem. So please enjoy the games, have fun with the games. Like Jason said, it's on ESPN. It's going to be in every stadium. The Cubs, the Sox, the Bears, the Blackhawks, the Bulls, they will all have betting windows. It is going to be a part of our natural lexicon. Our kids will be the first generation of growing up with it legal. So please keep an eye out. And if you or someone you know may have a gambling problem, please call 1-800-GAMBLER. Thank you to our guest, Rachel Volberg. She is a research professor in the School of Public Health and Health Sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She is a leading gambling researcher. We thank her so much for her time. Of course, to Adam Yaffe for his amazing support and his expertise in driving this podcast. Artwork and logo are designed by Shay Canander. Please subscribe to our podcast, The Sportscaster and Her Son, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and really wherever you listen. Reminder, if you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash sportscaster. Follow the simple instructions. We're making it really easy for you to do that. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the sportscaster and her son.com. And you can find Jason's stories on Fansided on NBCChicago.com for me as well. Thank you all for listening. Remember, if you or someone you know may have a problem with gambling, please call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world.